Good morning, Browncroft. Wow, wow, wow. It is amazing to be back. So Steve, my husband, is here, and Steve and I raised our kids in this church. Uh, you were so gracious to them. We had four beautiful but very lively children, and uh, some of the women yesterday were remembering them running through the halls, you know, and wiggling during church and all the things, but it is just amazing to be back here in many ways this is home for Steve and I. We have such great memories of Browncroft. And so this morning, I am excited that Pastor Rob has given me the opportunity to speak to you. And I, I want to speak to you from my heart this morning, because as far back as I can remember, I have struggled with anxiety. And so this morning, we're going to try to give you a practice that answers the question, can God calm my anxiety? Before we open the word together and get into this, would you bow your heads with me? And I just like to give my mouth to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for Browncroft. Thank you for the long history of people who have really revered the word of God and worship, and they have lived faithfully for you. Thank you for what you are doing in this season in Browncroft's life, Lord, and thank you for your word. Father, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me. Help me not to say anything that's not of you, but to be faithful to say everything that is of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 2014, my husband Steve had been given a sabbatical from the church where we were serving. And he really wanted to go back to Nigeria because that's the place where he grew up. His parents were missionaries. His grandparents were missionaries in Nigeria. And he really wanted me to go with him. And I really didn't want to, to be honest with you. I mean, it was during the season when Boko Haram was ravishing the country. If you don't know Boko Haram, they are a terrorist group. And a lot of churches were being burned. A lot of people were being injured, kidnapped. And I wasn't sure I was up for this type of adventure. But, you know, Steve kept pleading. He gave me the puppy husband eyes. And, you know, he's like, please, I really want you to come and see where I grew up. And so after praying for weeks and weeks and weeks, I decided that I would go with him. Now, I am a cancer survivor, and one of the things that Steve told me as a supposed comfort is he's like, well, Becky, would you rather die of cancer or just be shot by a terrorist? I'm kind of like, it's a toss-up, you know? I I'm not sure the answer to that. But anyway, I decided that I would go. So he had left before me. We met in Europe. We flew down into Nigeria, and it was a very long flight. And I don't know how you are on planes, but I don't sleep well on planes. And so I hadn't gotten any sleep. So when we finally landed in Nigeria and our driver picked us up, I fell asleep in the back of the van, and I could hear Steve and the driver just kind of talking, you know. And then I fell into a deep sleep, and I heard in the distance this voice saying, Becky, wake up. This would be a good time to pray. Recognizing that that was my beloved husband's voice, I woke up. And I realized our van was stopped, 
And we were surrounded by teenage boys pointing AK-47s at us, saying, I don't want to have to kill you. And I remember thinking, yeah, I don't really want that either. And, but in that moment, in spite of all the anxiety that I had going into the trip, what was remarkable was that as I was praying, Lord, you've brought us here by divine appointment. If this is my time, I'll see you in a few minutes. And if it's not my time, would you just give me calm? And, and then I began to just praise God for who he was. And in that moment, God gave me peace. It was remarkable because this was the very thing I had worried about. We continued in that trip. And uh, a few weeks into the trip, Steve was invited to preach at a little village church. And we found out the night before he was going to preach that about 20 minutes away, uh, Boko Haram again had gone into a church and shot everybody. And so once again, Steve this time said to me, well, you could stay here on the compound. You'll be protected by guards and I'll go preach. Um, but after wrestling with this all night, I felt like God was saying, Becky, will you live your message? Will you live your message? And so I said, yes, Lord, and I texted a few people to pray for us, and we went to that church, and I, honestly, I have to say, it was the best church service I've ever been a part of. If you've never been to a Nigerian church service, you really should go. So about halfway through the service, these drums began to play. And, you know, I noticed that all the women started going down the aisles, so the person next to me shoved me out in the aisle. Now, I grew up Baptist, so I wasn't allowed to dance, you know. And these women were dancing down front. And I thought, oh, Jesus, you've got to help me dance in this moment. Everybody danced down the aisle, all the women. And they gave their offerings. And then we went and we sat back down. And then the men went down and they gave their offering. And they took three offerings in that church service. And we left that church flat broke. But... You know, it was the most joyful church service. And in between, we asked the elders, are you afraid of what's happening in Nigeria? And they said, no, because we know where we're going. And I thought, what an amazing testimony of God's peace. You see, anxiety is on the rise in our country, if you haven't read the statistics. You know, post-COVID, we are a very anxious culture aren't we? And I had anxiety before COVID, you know, and the thing about anxiety, it's complicated, but it's a little bit like runaway thoughts in your mind. When we were living here in Rochester, two of our teens began to drive, and so we, we wanted to give them a car. So Steve bought a car from his dad for a dollar. Yeah, a dollar for a car. You, that kind of tells you something about the car. Anyway, uh, the kids named the car Bernie. Now, you know where Hegedorns is, right? Because y'all live here. And Hegedorns is on a hill. So one night, we had just gotten the transmission fixed on Bernie. And we had Bethany, our oldest daughter, take our youngest daughter, Carrie, to soccer practice. And she parked the car at Hegedorns because they were going to run in and get some gum or something, some kind of snack. And then she ended up calling Steve. And she said, Dad... Bernie is moving, and Steve is like, put on the brake. And she's like, you don't get it, Dad. I'm not in the car. Well, Bernie 
went down. Steve drove by Hegedorn's last night because he wanted to remember this. Bernie went down. It hit the manager's car, which was unfortunate. It went down across the main road that's there. And then it went into another parking lot. And it was headed right for Raymore and Flanagan. Remember that furniture store? It did a sharp left turn and ended up parking. And when... <laughs> When the, when the policeman got there, he was like, buddy, you are going to have one heck of a story to tell after this, you know. But our, our thoughts, our anxious thoughts can be a little bit like Bernie. You see, one thought spills another thought, spills another thought. I can remember nights of laying in bed worried about my kids in college. You know, what were they doing? Were they out on the roads? Would they have a car accident? Would they drive into a ditch? And you know, before I knew it, I knew what I was wearing to their funeral. I mean, our thoughts can kind of spin out of control like that. What I've learned through the years is a practice that quiets my anxiety. It's not my desire this morning to give you an easy answer for anxiety because I realize it's a complicated problem. For some of us, we need exercise. For others of us, we may need medicine from our doctor. But this practice has changed my life. And so I want to tell you about it. And in order to illustrate this practice, I want to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, open to 2 Chronicles or pull it up on the phone. I first learned about the power of praise when I was diagnosed with cancer. In fact, I shared yesterday I was sitting somewhere right over there when I realized that I had cancer. And, uh, you know, my mentor at the time, I called her and I said, I, I have cancer and I need prayer. And she did pray with me. And then she gave me the most bizarre challenge I've ever been given in my entire life. She said, Becky, before you even open your Bible in the morning, I want you to get down on your knees and praise God for 20 minutes. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I hardly feel like jumping up and down saying, hallelujah, I have cancer. But she said, I'm not asking you to praise God for cancer. I'm asking you to praise God for who he is above the cancer. And so I took her little challenge. And after five days, I was hooked. Because you see, that little challenge radically changed my life. In fact, researchers tell us that anxiety cannot coexist in your brain at the same time that you are praising God. Isn't that miraculous, the way God has designed our brains? So as you begin to praise God, the Holy Spirit quiets those anxious thoughts. And this is illustrated in 2 Chronicles 20. And so I'm going to tell you this story, and you can follow along in your Bibles. So King Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And a messenger comes to him and tells him that a vast army is surrounding Judah. And so the Meunites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, they've all surrounded Judah. They've come to make war on Judah. And Jehoshaphat is alarmed. No kidding. Wouldn't you be alarmed if all of a sudden you learned that there were terrorists surrounding the auditorium here at Browncroft? You would feel a little anxious, I'm guessing. And so Jehoshaphat is alarmed. But then scripture tells us that Jehoshaphat resolved 
to inquire of the Lord. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat goes before the Lord and he prays this magnificent prayer in front of all the people. He gathers them. He calls for a day of fasting and prayer. And then he prays, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God of the heavens? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. I think we need that reminder today. As we look at what's happening in our world, as we look at what's happening in our school systems, as we look at the war in Ukraine, as we look at the economy, as we look at new diseases coming out more and more, we need to remember power and might are in his hands. Nothing is too great for him. And so then Jehoshaphat goes on and he continues this magnificent prayer and he's says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I can't tell you how many times Steve and I have prayed that throughout our married life of almost 44 years now, raising kids when one would get really sick. We would pray, oh Lord God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes on you. When there was a problem in ministry, oh Lord God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When there was a financial concern, oh Lord God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then Jehazel, the prophet, stands up before the people. And it says that the spirit of the Lord came on him. And he talked to the people and he said, do not be discouraged or afraid. This is what the Lord says to you. And he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions and stand firm. Take up your positions and stand firm. I feel like that's a word for some of you. Take up your positions in your neighborhood and stand firm. Take up your positions in your kid's school and stand firm. Take up your positions at work and stand firm because the Lord is fighting the battle. Yes, there may be enemies all surrounding us. There may be difficulties and stress and disease and all manner of problems surrounding us, but it's the Lord's battle. So take up your positions and stand firm. And then Jehoshaphat, oh, I love this part of the story. Jehoshaphat comes up with the craziest battle plan ever recorded in history. I cannot imagine our military doing this today. But after inquiring of the Lord, after falling down and worshiping the Lord, Jehoshaphat says, I know what I'm going to do. Now I'm taking a little liberty with the text here. Jehoshaphat says, I have an idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send out the worship team in front of the soldiers and the artillery and the guns. So we're going to send out the worship team first. Now, Steve and I have worked in a lot of churches, and we know what sometimes happens on worship teams. Now, I'm sure this never happens at Browncroft, but, you know, there can be a little bit of competition on worship teams. And I'm guessing on this day, nobody was saying, Jehoshaphat, I want a solo. I want to go out first. (laughs) You know, it probably went something like this. It was probably like, Jehoshaphat, send the tenors out first. They've been a little pitchy lately. Or, 
Send the altos out first because they never show up for choir practice on time. Jehoshaphat, send somebody other than me. And yet Jehoshaphat sends the worship team out. And they go out and they go up the hill. And they are singing with all they are worth. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And then scripture says this. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, he sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. Do you get what's happening here? And they were defeated. As the people of God began to sing and praise God, God sent ambushes. God won the battle. God defeated the enemy. God quieted their anxiety. And then there was so much plunder that it took them days to recover it. Now, what can we learn from this story? I think it's vital in this day and age that we get the lesson that's here in this story. You see, as a people of God, we've come through some really hard things in the last few years, haven't we? I mean, there was the whole pandemic. Now the Surgeon General has come out that loneliness is the new epidemic in our country. We know that anxiety is on the rise. Anxiety, fear, depression, it's all around us. And we feel surrounded. Some of you may be worried about your kids and whether they're dealing with anxiety. Some of you may be worried about a spouse and whether they are anxious and depressed and fearful. And God's word is teaching us a principle here that can be radically life-changing. Because here's the thing, praising God is not some glib hallelujah when your family's thriving, when your health is flourishing, and when your finances are prospering. Praising God is the intentional declaration that God is good above your life circumstances. Praising God is the intentional declaration that God is good above your life circumstances. You know, Steve and I have been trying to practice this in our personal lives, and I get up very early in the morning, um, kind of annoyingly early, actually, and I get down on my knees and I listen to worship music for about the first half hour before I open my Bible, and I allow the music to prompt my praise. And then in the evening, Steve and I started a new practice about four or five years ago. In the middle of a discouraging season of ministry, uh, we had this idea, let's get a journal and let's keep it on the dinner table in the napkin holder. And at dinner each night, we challenge each other. What are the top three blessings of your day? You know, because we need to reorder our thinking sometimes. And, and the blessings might not be huge. It might be, oh, I had a great conversation with this kid. Or I had a great snuggle with this grandchildren. Or I had a good work meeting. Or I had a good phone call. Or God really encouraged me through this email. And so we each list three blessings. And then we take a moment at the end of dinner to just thank God for those blessings. What are we doing? We are trying to unleash the power of praise in our life. Because when you do that, 
It calms your anxiety. And so I have a few ideas for you about what this will look like. First of all, change your view of anxiety. You know, some of you feel guilty for being anxious. I, I know this because I felt guilty for years. You know, growing up, I heard a million sermons on how anxiety and worry were wrong. You know, so then what would happen in my thinking is I would worry about the fact that now I was sinning. And so it became this vicious cycle, like, God, I don't want to worry. They're just appearing in my head, and now I'm sinning, and now I'm really worried, you know. So your guilt is not helping you. I want to say that clearly. So if you struggle with anxiety, let go of the guilt because it's not helping you. You know, it's really interesting in the book of Philippians, Paul writes, do not be anxious for anything. And I thought for many years that that verse meant don't ever feel anxious about anything. And I, I remember thinking, like, how is that even possible? I mean, if I'm surrounded by people pointing AK-47s at me, I'm going to have a body reaction. I'm going to feel my blood pressure rise. I'm going to feel anxious. But that's not what Paul is saying. If you analyze the Greek there, he's actually saying don't stay in the place of anxiety. Don't stay there. In other words, don't pitch a tent there and hang out for a while, you know, nurturing these anxious thoughts. You've got to have a plan. And so in my life, I needed a plan. And so here's the first part of my plan. View your anxiety as an invitation to your knees. View your anxiety as an invitation to your knees. You know, as I was thinking about this last night, getting ready to preach this sermon this morning, I was reflecting back on my life and, you know, the journey that I've had with anxiety, and I realized something profound. I would not have the deep, intimate walk I have with Christ if I hadn't wrestled with anxiety. So last night, I was actually able to say, Lord, thank you that I've wrestled with anxiety because it's led me into deeper intimacy with you. You see, in the moments that I'm anxious, I'm desperate for Jesus. I need to get on my knees. I need to say, Lord Jesus, you are everything. And as I tell him how wonderful he is, as I review his character traits, he quiets my anxiety. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, why does God invite us to praise him in the first place? Is he some insecure God that needs a good that-a-boy every now and then? No. God invites us to praise him because as we praise him, we are changed and we become more like him. And so, as you deal with anxiety, and I'm guessing in a room this size that many of you do, view it as an invitation to your knees. You know, when the fears come about your kids, get on your knees and spend some time with Jesus, praising him and crying out to him. When you're worried about financial bills, get on your knees and praise God and, and ask him for wisdom and affirm to him that he is mighty enough to take care of this. The second principle that I have learned in my life is to turn my panic into praise. I can do this anywhere. I can do it when I'm driving the car. You know, several months ago, um, I was in a car accident, and 
it really shook me up, to be honest with you. You know, the car was a wreck. I was not hurt, thankfully. Steve was preaching. I was trying to reach him. And um, I was just kind of rattled, you know. And then uh, Steve got home. We got the car towed to a place where they were going to fix it. And I said to Steve, you know what? I feel afraid to drive. I don't really want to drive now. And Steve said, well, babe, here's the thing. We can't do our lives without you driving, <laughs> you know. So either you got to get in the car and drive by yourself or I'll go with you and you can drive. So I hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed. And the first time I got into a car to drive, I could feel panic rising in me. You know, I could hear the crash of the car. I could feel my blood pressure rising. And so I stopped for a moment and I just said, Lord, I praise you that I know how to drive. I praise you that you're surrounding this car. I praise you that you're going to help me to stay focused and to see things around me. You are going to guide this car as I drive it. And you know, Again, as I turned my panic into praise, the Holy Spirit calmed me. You know, in your life, it might not be something like a car accident, but it might be panic over a job situation, or it might be panic over finances. I want to challenge you, learn this practice of turning your panic into praise. The great thing about this plan is you can do it in the middle of the night. Have you ever noticed how much anxiety threatens in the middle of the night? You know, you wake up at 3 in the morning, you got a lot on your mind, you can't get back to sleep, and then, you know, one thought triggers another thought, and before you know it, you're wide awake. Turn your panic into praise. You know, praise your way through the alphabet. I'm guessing all of you know the alphabet. The alphabet is the easiest tool in the world to use when you're praising God. Just go through the alphabet and praise God for every character trait of his that begins with that letter. And I'm guessing in the middle of the night, you will not make it all the way to Z. You'll fall back to sleep because the Holy Spirit will quiet your anxiety. The third thing that has really helped me, and I, I have taught this to my kids, is you got to have emergency verses. What do I mean by this? You know, every home that I know has an emergency first aid kit. You probably have one, right? It has Band-Aids. It might have aspirin or Advil. It's got Neosporin. It's got, you know, just some different things for cuts and bruises in your home. We need an emergency kit of verses. What do I mean by that? I mean verses, four or five verses that you've memorized, that you know so well that when panic comes, you can go to those verses. You know, when I was diagnosed with cancer and fear was, I was really battling this whole fear and anxiety thing, wondering if I was going to live to finish raising my kids. We were living here in Webster, and I remember I decided to memorize Psalm 46. And so every day I would go out in our neighborhood and I would take a walk and I would rehearse it in my mind. God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And on and on I would go. And as I was rehearsing scripture in my mind, 
there was a calming element because it's a reminder to me God is in charge of my body. If God can take care of the mountains, he can take care of my body. So learn some emergency verses. If you have five or six verses that you know by heart and panic starts to hit you, you can go to those verses. And I'll tell you this, the combination of praising God and using scripture is deadly because we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He wants you to feel anxious continually. You got to clobber him with scripture and praise because Satan is allergic to praise. He cannot stand where you are lifting the name of Jesus. And so I dare you to try that. The final thing that I learned is that I had to lean into my community. If you are a person who is struggling with fear, anxiety, depression, you are part of the family of God. You are part of this divinely orchestrated community. Find a few people that you can trust. I have people that are very supportive of me. I can text them in the morning and say, hey, I'm having a rough time with anxiety today, and I know they're going to pray. And they do the same with me. And by leaning into my community, I am strengthened. See, here's the thing. God did not design for you to do your Christian walk alone. He placed you in a family on purpose for a purpose. And so if you are struggling with anxiety or fear or depression, lean into your community. You know, here's the thing about God. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is your bread of life and your creator. He's the one who delivers you from fear and evil. He is eternally loving and endlessly faithful. He is good and holy, and his holiness never changes. He's infinite in his wisdom and just in all his ways. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's mighty enough to throw mountains in place and make the oceans roll, and yet he's near enough to hear every whisper and cry of your heart. He's opulent in his splendor, and yet he's the prince of peace who quiets you when the anxious thoughts are ravishing you. He he quiets you. He clothes you in his righteousness. He saves you from your sins, and he shepherds your heart so that you don't keep going back to the same sin. He is absolute truth and yet completely understanding. He is the wonderful counselor who allows you to weep at his feet, and he is the only one worthy of all your praise. And as you praise him, there will be a shift in your thinking. I promise you, if it doesn't work, email me and I'll take you out for coffee. Because as you praise him, he will calm your anxiety. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you today because you get us. You wired us. You understand us. You calm us. You are indeed the Prince of Peace. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that nothing that surrounds us equals the power that is within us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I know there are many in this room 
who struggle with anxiety. Statistics tell me that. And so, Lord, for those who are struggling, who are thinking, yes, that's me, would you meet them in this moment? Would you challenge them that, yes, you can calm their anxiety, however they need to work with you. And as they praise you, you're going to, through the power of your Holy Spirit, bring their will into perfect union with yours. And you're going to quiet their hearts and quiet the panic. I pray that you would do this over everyone in this room who's struggling with anxiety, Lord. We will praise you for being who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.